but let's pray again for God's help as we come to his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we confess that we live our lives uh, just preoccupied uh, with the day to day. Uh, and so often we are forgetful of you. But we pray now, gracious Father, uh, that your word would break through, that we would hear this word as spoken to us, and you would grant me to teach your word truthfully and clearly. And in your mercy, uh, help us to have conviction uh, that our Lord Jesus is calling us, and to respond as he commands. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I cannot read that. Picture Zebedee sitting in the boat as he watches his sons James and John depart with this travelling preacher and with them his hopes for them and his family or think of the disruption to the lives of Peter, who we know was married in his family, the disruption to the lives of the other men and their families. I cannot read of Jesus' disruptive call without wondering, who does Jesus think he is? Follow me, come after me is a command. It's a startling demand. It's startling because it's unusual. Uh, the rabbis of Jesus' day generally let disciples choose their own teacher. But here Jesus chooses his followers. Startling because it's a call for total commitment. This was a literal following. Jesus was there in front of them and he was calling them to leave their current occupation, their current life, to fall in behind him, to go where he went, to stop when he stopped, to eat when he ate, to sleep where he slept. They were to give up their lives to living out his agenda. This is a total commitment Jesus calls for. And it's a startling call because Jesus makes it at the beginning of his public ministry. There's no self-doubt, no evolution in his understanding of his own importance. And it's startling because it's effective. They leave and follow. They leave their livelihood, their nets, they leave their family, they leave their economic security because as fishermen they were people with assets. They leave their good reputation for what would people think of men who abandoned their father and the family and the family business to follow a wandering preacher. Yet despite the cost, they follow. Who does Jesus think he is that he can ask of people such total and costly commitment? And why do they think making such a commitment is worth it? It's a shocking disruption to their own lives and the lives of those close to them. Who does Jesus think he is? Why do they think following him is worth it? And we need to be clear in our answers to those questions because Jesus still calls women and men through his gospel. He calls us. 
Further, as his followers, we may call others through sharing his gospel. And the disruption Jesus makes to the lives of those who heed his call is still shocking. Many of us know that from experience, our own or of other believers. Muslim background brothers and sisters who have lost family. Same-sex attracted brothers and sisters who have made a commitment to a chaste life to heed Jesus' costly call. And Jesus keeps calling us to follow. A call renewed every day. So who does Jesus think he is? that he can make this disruptive call on their lives and our lives? And why did they respond as they did, leaving all to follow him? Why should we? Now, in a sense, the whole gospel is given to answer that question and the gospel will raise that question over and over again as Jesus meets rejection and opposition as people challenge Jesus' understanding of who he is. But this call on the lives of these men Uh, Jesus makes at the very beginning of his ministry tells us Jesus commences his ministry knowing who he is, what he has come to do and for whom he will do it. And this is evident in our passage, shown in what we are told of Jesus in the build-up to the commencement of his ministry, shown in Jesus' relation to the gospel he preaches in verse 17 and shown in the call itself in what the call reveals about Jesus' ministry plans. So firstly, what are we told about Jesus in the build-up to the launch of his ministry in verse 17 in the pre-launch preparation? Matthew's recorded the preparation for Jesus' public ministry from Matthew 3 on. And in Matthew 3, we've seen John the Baptist preparing the people for the coming of Jesus the Lord coming to his people in judgment and salvation. And then at the end of chapter 3, we heard God himself say of Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. An identity then confirmed by Jesus victoring in his testing in the wilderness. In his interaction with John, in hearing the voice from heaven, in being the faithful son in testing, Jesus shows he knows himself to be the son and servant, the one who will rule as God's king and save God's people. And this preparation for his public ministry comes to its conclusion and climax in verses 12 to 16 with Jesus' move to Capernaum, the move that took place, we are told, to fulfil the scriptures. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus moves from Nazareth to Capernaum, that larger town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, to fulfil Isaiah 9, the word God spoke through Isaiah hundreds of years before. Jesus knows the significance of the ministry he will undertake. He is the one who in himself, in his words and actions, brings light to those in darkness. And think of the good of that for a moment. 
The people of Isaiah's day who dwelt in Galilee, the region assigned to the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali by Moses and Joshua, those people were the first to be conquered by the Assyrians and deported from the land. That is, they were a people who knew the darkness of war, conquest, famine, deportation and death, the darkness of loss and grief, of being without hope, the darkness of being separated from their God. And the region had then come to be associated with Gentiles, non-Jews settled there by the Assyrians, and the darkness of their idolatry and ignorance of the true God came to characterise that region. So this prophecy speaks of a people in deep darkness. But it's not just Galileans who dwell in that darkness and know its misery and hopelessness, is it? I mean, we today claim to be enlightened, but think of our darkness. We know the darkness of idolatry, for us mainly the worship of self, where for the sake of our desires we call good evil and evil good. We know the darkness of enslavement to addictions, the darkness that comes into the lives of so many from betrayal and abandonment. Oh, we still know the darkness of grief, of loss and death, of being without God and without hope in the world. We live amongst a people in darkness. But to those in darkness, God had promised one who would bring light to their darkness, one who would, as you heard in Isaiah, defeat their oppressors and establish an eternal reign of peace. And by moving to Capernaum, Matthew is saying that what was promised, Jesus is now fulfilling. This pre-launch preparation reveals Jesus knows himself to be the son who brings light to those in darkness, hope to those dwelling in the darkness of death. Think of that. Light is so good. It is worth everything, isn't it? To know it, to live in it, to be freed from the darkness, to have hope in despair, hope of life and a future, to be freed from oppressors, freed from judgment on our sin, freed from fear of lack and loss, freed to know the true God whose word is sure and true. Now, how will Jesus be the light he knows himself to be? Well, as you follow the progress of Jesus through the gospel, you'll see the progress that climaxes in his death, the progress of the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome. But for now, no Jesus comes and makes this disruptive call as one who knows that he is the one who brings light in our darkness, light to those dwelling in the shadow of death. His is a call from darkness to light, and light is good. Secondly, who Jesus is and his authority to make this call is revealed in his preaching of the gospel. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus starts his ministry with a very clear message. Repentance is changing your mind and so changing your direction in life, changing your mind about who is in control, not you but God, and so starting to live directed by his word. Now, Jesus' call to repentance is really like that big sign on the freeway that you see when you're about to enter an exit which, of course, is disastrous. You know, the one that says, wrong way, go back. 
their call to repentance is saying the course you are on where you live to please yourself, putting yourself first, will end in disaster. And so you need to do a U-turn and go back to honouring the living God by believing what he says and doing what he commands. And why should we heed this call for such a radical change of mind and direction? Well, it's not about how you feel, whether you're feeling good or bad. And it's not about whether things are working out for you at the moment or not. Jesus calls us to repent, to make that U-turn, because he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that is very near to us. What does that mean? Well, when Matthew speaks of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew's respecting Jewish sensibilities. They didn't like using the name of God, and so in this phrase, Matthew substitutes heaven for God and accepted a known substitution. But he's talking about exactly the same thing as the other gospels call the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God is near. Now, that, of course, phrase in turn also needs some explaining, doesn't it? Because when we hear kingdom, we think of a place, a realm, like the United Kingdom. So is, you know, is Jesus calling tech, causing tectonic movements, you know, right, moving from one space? No. What is meant by the word kingdom is more dynamic. It's a reign. God's kingdom is God's reign or rule. Jesus is saying we should repent because the reign of God is at hand, very near. Now, the first Jewish hearers understood the reign of God to be a time promised in the Old Testament when God himself would come and rescue his people from pagan rulers and establish his own rule through his chosen and sent king. So the kingdom of God was a time when God's justice and righteousness would be established on the earth, when God's judgments on sin and especially on idolatry would be enacted. For God's people, those ready for God, it would be a time of peace. God himself would establish them in right relationship with himself, would forgive their sins and move them to follow his decrees. It would be a time of security and prosperity when no one would ever oppress them again and that they would never need to fear God's judgment again. The reign of God was and is therefore something you want to be ready for, both to avoid God's judgment on those who want to keep on defying God and there will be no place in the kingdom for people who want to continue to rebel against God, but also to share in its goodness, to know its peace, to be able to live in the living God's presence. Now that reign, said Jesus, is very close. And so his hearers and us should get ready to meet God by turning back to God when he calls us. Now you say, yes, that's true, but this is exactly the same gospel John the Baptist preached, the same gospel Jesus calls on his followers to preach. So how does Jesus' preaching of this gospel tell us who Jesus thinks he is? I mean, the same message did not give John the authority to make that call on people's lives. What is different with Jesus' preaching? Well, two things are different with Jesus' preaching. And firstly, the major difference is his relationship to the message he preaches. You see, Jesus doesn't just warn of the coming of the reign of God. He embodies the reign of God for he is God's son, God's chosen king. He brings that reign near in himself. 
Later in the gospel, Jesus will say to his critics, if it's by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He was challenging them to recognise that in his mighty works, the presence of God's king, of God's reign, was amongst them. You see, Jesus knows. He is the one who both executes the judgment of God prophesied by John the Baptist and brings the peace, the wholeness of God's reign. And he demonstrates that in his healings, recorded in that summary of his ministry to come in verses 23 to 24, healings that will be looked at in more detail in chapters 8 to 9. Now, Jesus didn't come to create a World Health Organisation or run a public health campaign, yet he did a lot of healing of all kinds of diseases, freed people from their oppression. In fact, his ministry is characterised, verse 23, as involving teaching, preaching and healing. Those healings support his proclamation of the kingdom and reveal its character, what the reign of God's king is like. They show Jesus has the power of God to make whole and give life. And so they tell his hearers that they should respond immediately to his message for they are in the presence of the king, the king who is even now exercising his judgment and salvation through his preaching. The relation of Jesus' ministry to the message he preaches shows that he is the king. And this means that the second, the second difference between Jesus and John's preaching is that the repentance called for now focuses on Jesus and how you respond to him. Repentance now means coming to confess that Jesus should run your life for he is God's king who exercises God's rule and teaches God's word. So repentance now is saying, not me, but Jesus. Jesus calls the shots. Jesus sets the direction for my life. He has that right the right to call, to summon me to follow. And that is still the same. For the gospel we hear, the gospels the apostles preach, is the same gospel as the gospel of Jesus. When they declare that Christ has died for our sins, been buried and been raised on the third day, when they proclaim that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, they are proclaiming that Jesus is God's king that the reign of God is exercised by Jesus and we prepare for that reign by getting right with Jesus. It's the same gospel calling for the same response, repentance, the change of mind and heart that confesses Jesus is Lord and that Jesus rightfully directs my life. Jesus is revealed in his preaching of the gospel, in his ministry, As God come amongst his people, God come to bring his reign. His then is a call to life, to find peace with God by turning back to him, a call to be responded to urgently and completely. And thirdly, Jesus is revealed in his plan for ministry, a plan revealed in his calling of the apostles as someone who knows he is the saviour of the world. In the summary of his ministry, we see that the message and ministry of Jesus was for the crowds, that he travels 
uh, throughout Galilee so that as many as possible can hear. But it's the one who brings light in darkness, the one who establishes God's reign, Jesus knows from the start that what he does and the gospel he brings is for more than the people of Galilee, more than just for those alive at that time. It's for all, all those living in darkness. And in the call of the disciples, we see that he is already making provision for more to hear. He calls them to become fishers of people, of women and men, by following him. He uses an image that relates to their work, their world, uh, to picture for them the work, the service that he is calling them to. As the net is cast out and gathers up and brings in its silvery treasure, so they will gather people into his kingdom. And Jesus says they'll be equipped for this service by following him, equipped to bring others to be followers of Jesus by their own following in response to his call. And that's what we see happening in the rest of the gospel. Jesus equipping his followers to bring others to be his followers, to bring them to live under his life-giving reign. From this time, the disciples are always with him until they abandon him in the garden before his death. And so they see him interacting with the crowds. They receive his teaching. They are trained and sent out on a mission with his authority, all with the goal that they are equipped for the commission the risen Jesus renews when he sends them out to make disciples of all nations at the end of the gospel. Go he says, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. Jesus' call of Peter and Andrew, James and John to be fishers of women and men, boys and girls of all people, tells you Jesus knows from the outset that his is a mission for all the world and for all subsequent history even for us who still receive the disciples' witness in their word. Jesus makes this call on the lives of Peter and Andrew, James and John, this disruptive call to follow because from the outset he knows who he is and what he brings. He is the one who brings light to those living in darkness He is God's son, his king, the bringer of the reign of God. He is the saviour of the world. Now the rest of the gospel will show us what this means for Jesus, how he will accomplish his work and will demonstrate in his cross and the resurrection the rightness of his understanding of himself and his authority to make this call on their and our lives. It's a call to life and service, to life, to come to the light, to embrace the repentance needed to live in the kingdom and a call to serve by bringing others into the light and the life of repentance in following Jesus. And Jesus still calls, calls us to life and service today because Jesus thinks no less of himself today. And his right to call to make that call to life and service is actually clearer than ever. You see, we are on the other side of his death and resurrection, have the witness to the demonstration of the truthfulness of Jesus that only God can make, raising him 
in the body in which he was killed, giving him the spirit to give to his people. You see, during his reign, they had the signs of the kingdom, but now we know Jesus' exaltation as king to to an eternal reign at God's right hand. Oh, then Jesus was dealing with the symptoms of a world under judgment for sin, but now we know that he has dealt with sin fully and finally through his death on the cross. We know he can raise us from the dead. Jesus makes his disruptive call on our lives with full authority, the authority of the one, the only one, who can forgive and judge and give eternal life. But that is now. Why did these men respond as they did to what seems such an abrupt call? Jesus just appearing and saying, follow me. It is dramatic, isn't it? Come, and they leave all and follow. But it can leave us puzzled, can't it? You think, was it something in his tone of voice that we can't hear? Was it something in his appearance that we are denied seeing? That's what you could think, isn't it? And then either feel his call on you is not as compelling or wish that you had some dramatic encounter as the basis of your following. So here it's worth remembering that all the Gospels are selective in what they present about Jesus. Truthful, but selective, because Jesus did and said many other things that are not recorded. And so the Gospels have recorded what they have in the way they have for a purpose. Matthew's snapshot of Jesus' call is given to emphasise Jesus' authority and purposefulness in calling his disciples and to focus on calling disciples as really at the core, the very first thing, in a sense, of his ministry. But the disciples don't respond in ignorance, make some kind of blind leap. You see, from John's Gospel, we see that these First disciples had already knowledge and experience of Jesus. In John 1, we learn that John the Baptist first pointed them to Jesus. And in John 2, that they had witnessed Jesus' glory in turning the water into wine. And all this happens before John's arrest. That is, before Jesus is recorded as starting his public ministry in Galilee and Matthew. And you know, knowing that, helps us respond ourselves to Jesus' call, helps us see what matters. What matters is not the drama or the seeming suddenness. What matters is the totality of the call and the decisiveness of the response, a response which is a model for us and a response that has a foundation in what they'd already experienced, known of Jesus already. So if you're not yet a believer and you are hearing Jesus' call, the call of the one who can give you light in your darkness, peace with God through embracing the reign of Jesus, a call to change your mind about who's in charge of your life, whether it's you or Jesus, part of responding to that call is getting to know Jesus. I mean, that's why he called these disciples, so that we could learn of him through the witness he equipped them to bear. So if you feel his call, as you feel his call, as you feel his authority on your life, ask Jesus to help you do that, to get to know him by giving you understanding of his word and come and talk. And we'd love to help 
you to get to know Jesus. The Christianity Explored course goes through a life of Jesus, a gospel, so that you can know him. But if you're someone who already knows Jesus, knows about Jesus, recognise that these disciples are a method, a model, sorry, of the response Jesus calls for, of the repentance that reckons following Jesus is worth more than everything and decisively leaves all behind, gives up all else to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus calls for. Of course, for us, that following is not literally walking along behind Jesus. No, it's being committed to live a life directed by him, by trusting him and conforming your life in every part to his teaching, no matter what the cost. The cost to your financial security, to your relationships, to your plans, to the expression of your desires, to your reputation. Living his way, no matter what the cost, because you reckon Jesus' light in darkness is worth it. Oh, and as you recognise that, recognise also that this following is also and always a following where Jesus equips us to bring others to be his disciples. His call is always a call to life and service. And here I want to talk especially to the young people amongst us. Many of you have grown up with, are familiar with the truth of Jesus. You know his goodness, you've seen a little of his power in your family life. Let yourself hear Jesus' call and know that you have to decisively commit to him, that Jesus asks for and settles for nothing less. You see, Jesus is not calling for people to like him on Facebook, a form of uselessness. Jesus is not calling for you to let him be a mate, you know, who you'll let drop around for occasional chats about the meaning of life. He's not calling you to let him be your mentor, who you will consult from time to time as you pursue your life goals. No. He, the light of the world, the risen king, the saviour, is saying to you, Come, follow me. Let me set the agenda for your life. Be wholly committed to trusting me and living by my word. Become a disciple who will bring others to know my light and life and the good of my rule. He's saying that to you. You see here what he is calling for from you. But as I say that, let me warn you, that the time when you become aware of Jesus' call, of what it means when you start to reckon with it for yourself, is a perilous time for you because Jesus' call is so clear and total. So clear and total that if we love things, he forbids. Maybe that's our popularity or that non-Christian girlfriend or boyfriend or just wanting to run our own life our own way without any authority over us. If we love things he forbids or if we think there are other things that can give us the life we want, you know, our sport, our academic achievement, our peer group, our money, when you feel Jesus' call, you will start to look for reasons not to believe. That's right. You'll start to avoid you know, being pressed about your sin or the truth of your resurrection. Know the peril of reckoning with Jesus' call 
but still hear it. Don't minimise it because to deny that call is to stay in darkness. It is to stay facing God's judgment. So instead, be like the disciples. Get to know Jesus and embrace light and life and peace with God by decisively committing yourself for now and for the rest of your life to follow. And if you're not there yet, ask the hard questions. Don't swerve away from them that will settle for you that Jesus is worth it once and for all. And if you're an older believer here today, someone who knows that they have heard Jesus call, embrace the repentance of trusting and following Jesus, well, keep on giving Jesus what he deserves as light in our darkness, the king and judge of all, the saviour of the world, and that is your all every day. And be what Jesus calls us to be, followers who are equipped by our following, by our listening to Jesus and doing what he says to make other followers. Now, we may not be on the move like those first disciples, may not have that physical distance from our possessions and homes that was called for from those first disciples. But we are not for that reason to be any less wholehearted in listening to Jesus and doing what he says, in reckoning that to belong to Jesus is worth everything, in wanting others to become his followers and in wanting others to become his followers. Remember, Jesus thinks he is worth all and he has shown that he is in his death for your sin and his rising in loving you enough to die for you, to give you eternal life. So as you hear again this call, as you are reminded of the totality of what Jesus asks you, well, keep saying every day to Jesus, not my will, but yours. Let his word Continue to shape and direct your life, your relationships, your conversations, your use of possessions, your use of time, which to many of us is more precious than money. And yes, if you have them, let his word shape what you long for and desire for your children. In fact, parents, if you've got children, here's a little test for your heart. If you're in Zebedee's position, how would you respond? If your child comes to you and says, I want to go and train to tell others the gospel, to teach Christ's word. I want to leave here to tell others the gospel. How will you respond when you see them giving up their job? Perhaps taking your grandchildren far away. Maybe not being there when you are old and frail because God has gifted them and called them. How will you respond? Actually, how are you responding now as you see them, say, getting involved in a uni Christian group or spending time teaching Sunday school or youth group or in growth group and you're worrying about their grades or their work? Concerned, disappointed, thinking about that conversation or thankful? Actually, more are you praying that in this world that is hostile to the rule of Jesus, your children will be wholehearted in following him whatever the cost, not just to them, 
but to you. That's a test for your hearts, isn't it? Come follow me, says Jesus, and he says it to us today, and I will make you fishers of men, and immediately, leaving their nets, they followed him. That's what Jesus calls for, all, everything, every day. And he, the light in our darkness, God's saving king, the saviour of the world, he is worth it. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, in your mercy, speak through your spirit in our hearts. Convict us of the call of Jesus. Convict us that uh, light and life is found in following him and he is worth all. And move us each day by your spirit to live, conforming our lives in everything to his word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.